today we're hanging out with the masterminds behind Fred Heads, a brand new documentary based on the fans of A Nightmare on Elm Street. This is truly a remarkable and a one-of-a-kind film. Its uniqueness stems from the fact that it focuses on the fans rather than the main cast, and it gives an in-depth look at how this franchise has changed so many lives over the last four decades. If you're listening to this, you're most likely a fan of Freddy yourself too, and we encourage you to binge the films after this interview ends. But more importantly, you should be looking up Fred Heads on social media and preparing for its release that is commencing in the next couple months. I want to truly thank Paige, Kim, and Jeremy for coming on the show. You know, one of the main reasons I even started this podcast was to promote other artists. And there's nothing I love more than giving indie filmmakers a little boost in publicity and reach out to new potential fans of their work. Be sure to rate this podcast on Spotify or Apple Music with a five-star rating to keep this podcast more visible to newcomers. I have some awesome guests planned for the rest of the month, so stay tuned for those episodes dropping soon. Sit back, relax, and She's doing. I need all layers on me as I interview legends for thee. Now grab your friends, your dog, and your fish. It's time to rip a new episode for the kids. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Kellen's Petty Talk Show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Kellen's Petty Talk Show. Most people only got Romero to sign, like, the zombie stuff. So, like, his non-zombie stuff sells for so much fucking money. It's insane. I will never sell. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I, I have an 11 by 17 signed by Romero, too, uh, that I got after the fact and was like, dude, it's it's so hard to find. What's, what's like, the one project that sells the most of his? Of his? uh, Probably Dawn of the Dead. Well, I meant like, I meant like what, cause you said, you said like a rarer title would be more money, right? Oh, oh, oh you mean, you mean now? Yeah. Um, like of the rare titles. I would say creep show is, is one that probably yeah, goes for like most because like, like collectors like me and shit that and fucked up when he was so alive like and only like put him on zombie stuff. Like, you know what? I should have put him on more stuff. So I've seen, I've seen creep show stuff go for big bucks, but like him on any of his stuff goes for big bucks these days, but especially creep show. No, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I fucked up. I wish I would have gotten a, a Tales from the Dark Side thing signed, but I didn't. And it's yeah. like impossible to sign because no, nobody got a Tales from the Dark Side anything signed. So, mm-hmm. fuck. No, see, I took that one, that piece to the Living Dead um, convention a few years back. I had like, all the creep show people, like people I didn't even, you know, like fluffy. And <laughs> so I got pretty much everybody on that. And I have a vinyl too, but I didn't get Romero to sign the vinyl, sadly. That's fucking rad though. That's awesome. That's Thank a great you. piece. Yeah. Yeah. Always. 
Well, I want to thank you guys so much for being here. Um, this is the first podcast I've done in a few uh, weeks. And it's kind of funny because the last episode I, I did was the Pennywise documentary. And now we're here to talk about Fred Heads, which is amazing. <laughs> I loved it so much. So I'm like really happy to be here to talk about it. And uh wanted to ask, have you guys checked out any cool horror movies recently? Um, yeah, I have. Yeah. Uh, Prey on Hulu. I, I consider the Predator franchise to be horror. Um, horror sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. I consider Prey to be, I mean, dude, you got an alien that's trying to kill you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that's pretty horrific. So Prey <laughs> was, Prey was fucking awesome. I saw that recently. Yeah. I, I agree with you. In fact, I think Jeremy, you text me or said, Prey equals perfection. <laughs> so I agree. Well, I, we absolutely loved it. It was amazing. Okay. You guys like that one? And yeah, uh, yeah. Jordan Peele's Nope. That's okay. a straight up horror film. So I, there's no debate in that one of whether it's a horror <laughs> film or not. Jordan Peele's Nope is a fucking masterpiece. I thought that was a comedy, dude. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Paige? I, I'm so far behind. I, yeah. I couldn't even tell you the last horror film I watched. I, I've been watching like a lot of like the classic stuff again. Really? Like I watched like the people on stairs oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Or Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I'm excited for the the horror hound. They're having the reunion. Uh, so jealous. Really for that. <laughs> um, but I haven't watched. I don't know what the last like horror film, like recent horror film that I would have seen. Yeah, I uh, I told Jeremy this already, and he already knows. He's stoked because I went to see the new Evil Dead about a month or two ago how long ago was that was that like two months ago now it was yeah it was probably about two months ago and it was amazing and i'm not supposed to say anything because you sign those like ndas and they're like oh you can't say anything but bruce campbell already went on on the internet and was like yeah it's it's doing really well and they're probably gonna put it in theaters so well dude uh, update on that actually is that there's actually a chance that that movie's not fucking coming out if, if you've been following the whole Warner Brother. Oh, H- really? Yeah. If you've been following the whole Warner Brother, HBO Max, uh, HBO oh. Discovery thing, um, you know, they they killed the Batgirl movie that they spent $90 million on. And oh, it's, the movie's God. done. The movie's done. And they said, we're indefinitely shelving it. We don't believe in it. It's never coming out, despite the fact that it has Michael Keaton back as Batman in it. And oh, then um, they killed the animated Scooby-Doo movie, uh, yeah. Scoob Halloween Haunt, which that was already done. And it like it was already out of post production, I think. Like yeah. the movie was done, and they were like, "No, we don't like it. It's not coming out." So <laughs> the the uh, the director of Evil Dead Rise made a tweet and was like, "Y'all pray pray for this movie." And there has been rumors that because of their killing HBO Max and straight to streaming movies, that this could be another casualty that they may not put it out. So, dude, mm. it would be a travesty. And they couldn't even just straight to Blu-ray it. Like, no, they can't. Because they're using it as a tax write-off for insurance. Oh my god! They did this recently. It's a bloodbath at HBO Max. They just got rid of a ton of like series too, as well. Yeah. Like a bunch of like series that were already like in development that they just weren't even going to put to air. Like people are, it's it's that's so disgusting. They're literally destroying the best streaming app out there. And yeah, right, that's how I feel. I yeah. love HBO. I think that's literally the best one. That one and Hulu have been putting out nothing but good qual- uh, quality content. <laughs> So yeah, every, everybody in, in your horror loving hearts, uh, say a prayer for Evil Dead Rise that oh, that movie man. still goes forward and that they release it in some capacity. Like put that shit in theaters. It'll make a ton of money. The, the, the positive word of mouth mouth is enough that this movie will make a shit ton of money. And dude, the last Evil Dead movie <laughs> they made made so, much, so money. much money. So like, why wouldn't you put out another one and make a bunch of money? So 
Ah, dude, it was so good. People were literally cheering. Like it was so good. Um, so let's go around the table. What was everyone's first experience with Freddie? Where and when did you first watch the films and at what age? I have to go first. You want me to go first? Go first. Jeff. Go first. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I, I saw an Emory Elm Street late at night. I, I think it was USA Network, like up all night kind of status. Uh, I was super, super young, like elementary school aged. Um, and I caught the very tail end of it. And Paige and Kim, I'm sure they've heard me tell this story so many times. So uh, I apologize to you guys. But yeah, so I was flipping through the channels. It was late at night. And I found the movie on on tv and it was the it, i started watching at the part where nancy started running up the stairs and so i only saw probably the last 20 minutes of the movie but it scared the ever-loving shit out of me yeah <laughs> uh, i went i went to school the next day and was telling all the kids at the lunch table about fred krueger and how you know if you go to sleep then he gets you in your sleep and <laughs> other kids in my class it gave like just the description that i gave them of this movie and this character it gave them nightmares so much so that other <laughs> kids parents called my teacher and were complaining about me like that this kid gave my kid nightmares they're like you know my kid slept in my bed wouldn't sleep in his own bed or her bed because this kid jeremy moorhead's coming to school scaring other <laughs> fucking kids so teacher called my parents and was like hey i don't know what you let him watch but he's like He's scaring other kids. So my parents, my parents were like, can you like not do that? That'd be great if you didn't do that again. So that, that was my, my first experience with Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And you actually, you told that segment in the, the doc, which was really yeah. funny. That was one of yeah. my favorite parts. That's so funny. <laughs> cool. How about you, Paige? Um, I was five and my parents were like super young. So like they were teenagers when they had me. My dad like used HBO as a babysitter, so he would just like sit me in front of it. I'd watch all these like like horrible movies that I shouldn't have been watching. And one night, Dream Warriors came out. It was the premiere, and I think just seeing Nancy come in and be that strength and that voice, uh, something like resonated with me with her, and I just became like super obsessed with with Dream Warriors, mm -hmm. and then. I was a little kid who would bug my parents and please rent this one, rent that one, rent this one, rent that one. And so I'm just obsessed. That's what's so cool about Nancy. She's never been like a fraidy cat. Like she gets scared, but you can tell she likes facing the fear, you know, which Hell a yeah. lot of the, like the, the female leads like weren't like that. They were always like just too afraid to face it. That's what I think is super cool about mm -hmm. Nancy. How about you, Kim? Well, mine was about when I was 10 years old and I was at a slumber party and Ooh. it was say up all night <laughs> <laughs> they were showing um part two actually so my first oh, wow. part two um which of course i knew who freddie was but i didn't you know being 10 i, I wasn't allowed to watch those movies and um yeah part, part two it, it scared me it's funny because for the longest time before i watched any others the vision in my head was like the bus you know the bus going down the, like, yeah the at the very end and um but yeah I, I i i kind of fell in love with him then and throughout the years of you know sneak movie watching as i call it because i wasn't allowed to um did everything i could to watch you know all of them of course so oh, yeah definitely i honestly don't remember how old i was when i first started watching them i probably just was like renting them but when i was like 12 years old my grandparents bought me the dvd set and that was like the sickest thing ever but then 
within, I don't even know, maybe like the next year or later that year, my aunt came to town from Florida and she noticed my horror collection and like started a whole firestorm with my mom and was like, oh, he shouldn't be watching this stuff. And then she, she got my mom to literally hide my entire collection. Oh my and, gosh. And oh. I lost my whole collection for probably like a year until I found it in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> You're like snooping. You're like, where yeah. is my horror? And then I was like, mom, I'm getting that shit back right now. <laughs> and then she never hit it again. But yeah. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Oh yeah. I, uh... So, I remember my my uh, you're talking about like stealing your collection back, dude. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, what's worse than that is what? when they when I begin, you know, in high school age and your parents find your porn stash because um, that that fucking happened to me, man. Like we were we were moving oh, fuck. <laughs> and my mom was like, hey, you need to start packing your room up or I'm going to do it. And you don't want me to do that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I did not <laughs> And then I came home and I had a speaker like, you know, because like back in the fucking 90s early 2000s you had fucking speakers connected to a cd player and like i yeah. I, I always hit my uh walk my man porn, like behind the fucking speaker and i came home from work because i was like 16 and i had a job uh and i came home and the speaker was moved and it was terrifying so you uh do you just like at that point not say anything do you dude, just like so, do you just like so the next morning i i went down for breakfast and my mom was just the most smug look on her face and I, and I sat down and I was like mom okay you know what here, here we go where, where where'd you put them and <laughs> she goes where, where'd I put what Jeremy and I was like you know what I'm talking about just tell me where it is and she was like can you tell me what they were and I was like Never mind, you keep them. I don't know what you're doing with them, but yeah, like, dude, I never got them back. <laughs> but wait, like, so dude, you actually you tried to get your porn mags back I, from your mom? Oh, they were like VHS tapes, bro. Like, in which, like, when you're 15, 16 years old, you literally, as far as like porn like that, you would take what you could get. You steal them from fucking friends, older brothers, or whatever. So like, like it was just you know a strange uh, array of you know a couple porn tapes that you know this was like back before like internet on the porn or you know inter- uh, porn on the internet or whatever and fucking <laughs> but yeah I legitimately asked my mom for my porn back but the I couldn't say the words like my porno tapes so like she was like tell me what they were and I was like mm, yep nope not doing that you whatever they're gone okay. <laughs> So, you know, you talking about your mom taking your horror collection. My mom took my porn collection, so I, I can relate. You know, it's worse than that, though. I, <laughs> I found one of my parents' porn tapes. Like porn of them? Up. Like of them? <laughs> no, I don't think it was them. No, it, but it was a v- <laughs> it was a VHS tape and it was porn for sure. And it like I just I just saw the cover or something, but it was like underneath our TV. And I was like, how the fuck? I like, was how there your for response was, I like how your response was, I don't think it was them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless that was like a fake cover they put on the front of it and <laughs> it's just to hide it. I don't know. So funny, dude. So funny. <laughs> We've regressed. Uh, We've regressed. <laughs> yeah. So, so what was... I was going to say, Kim, that must be a guy thing because like we... I <laughs> nope, I, I was hiding like white zombie CDs and I... Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I wasn't hiding porn, so yeah. <laughs> I was hiding pot. Like really? I wasn't like, you know, like I was an alcoholic. I was like, that's so funny. Hiding porn. Where would you hide pot? Like in your sock drawer? No, I had a, a thing, like a book, like a fake book for it. 
<laughs> so like, you know how you like hollow out a book? Yeah. When I was 12 years old, my best friend and I like went to the thrift store and got these like cool looking books and we like hollowed them out <laughs> and that's where we would like keep our stash. Oh my God. Oh, that's yeah. epic. Puzzle boxes. I hid stuff in puzzle boxes under all the puzzle pieces. Oh my God. <laughs> when Freddie was a kid, he hid it in his hat. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um, so what was the biggest challenge in the creation and completion of the documentary? Oh my. Paige. <laughs> Man, that's a good question. Um I mean, there were a lot of challenges. So, you know, I, I would say, I would say funding and budget probably yeah. would be the, the biggest because when we, when we set out to do this, we weren't necessarily sure what we were doing. And so we were just a bunch of friends with some cameras and an idea. And we didn't realize soon in how like consuming of like cost everything would be because of the amount of travel that we had to do and so we had a lot of like logistical stuff that we had to figure out because we're not a huge team by any means with like a studio backing us and so we it was more so just like travel logistics and and budget stuff was probably like the toughest thing the other stuff was fun you know being at the conventions and filming everybody and doing all that stuff that's fun and even editing though that could be stressful at times like that was still even fun so I would I would say that what do you think, Kim? What do you? Yeah, I definitely think that that funding budget is on the top tier of, of things that were difficult to get through. Um, you know, like page seven, we first started, we we had an idea, but we had no idea it was going to take five years. <laughs> you know, here we are, and, and just some of the things that that come up down the road. You know, I mean, we did have a crowdfunding. We didn't do as well as we hoped with crowdfunding. And a lot of that went straight into production. So there was really, I mean, after that, you know, for post-production, it was just Paige and myself and some team members, you know, trying to pull what we could pull to <laughs> pay the bills as we went along. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that was all. We had to buy like a, like a $4,000 computer just to like edit the doc. Really? <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like I, my little tiny laptop couldn't, couldn't handle it oh, wow. anymore. So I, I will say that at yeah. the time that we did the crowdfunding, it was like probably one of the worst possible timings to do a crowdfunding because mm-hmm. literally, you know, independent cinema was really taking off like bigger than it ever had. Like, and even like known filmmakers like Rob Zombie, we're starting to use the crowdfunding to, to finance mm-hmm. movies. And I feel like at, at the time that we launched that, like every filmmaker had a freaking Indiegogo or GoFundMe going, trying to yeah. get a movie made. So like, it was just one of those things, you know, horror fans, they really had to pick and choose which project that they wanted to throw money at because everyone had their, their hat out. Like, hey, we're making this movie. You could be a part of it. Here's how you can help. So we, you know, what's kind of crazy too about that is we've never talked about this story before. So this is something we can talk about. Um, when we launched the crowdfunding, um, we got a lot of traction in the beginning. And when we like announced everything that we were doing, it was like a little overwhelming because we were like getting like worldwide press, like out, like it was a huge thing. And then something, we don't know what happened in the midst of the crowdfunding. It like, that trailed off and died off so much so that the CEO of Indiegogo was sending us emails saying like, your campaign should be doing 30,000. Like your campaign 
contribute to it. We need to figure out what's going on and why it's not doing it. And we, they couldn't even figure out why, like we weren't gaining the momentum and traction that we we first had. It was almost like it like stalled, like something was triggered in the Indiegogo. So I think a lot of people were aware that we were even doing a crowdfunding. That first initial hit for the first few weeks, people were like, oh yeah, they're they're investing. And you know, thank God for those people who saw that and those fans. They that they helped us so much produce this. But then it was like something, it like went dark. And so that's why after that, Kim and I were just like, well, we gotta buck up and just do it ourselves. You know, we're gonna have to figure out how to, to finance this. Um, but it was, it, I, I feel like we learned a lot doing the Indiegogo and doing the campaign and what we would do next, next time differently if we ever, you know, use a campaign project or any of that stuff. And was this something that you had to like promise perks to people for, or is that Kickstarter mainly? Yeah, we had, we had perks. We had like really cool perks. We just oh. got some of them oh, really? in too. So yeah, we had, we had perks. Kim and I, Kim, we, we designed everything. And oh, that's cool. So yeah, and it, of course that, that part is fun, you know. We and we do have to give a special thank you shout out to those people who <laughs> donated to the crowdfunding because they have been waiting so patiently. Um, but you know, as Paige said, we we started to get some some in, and we're you know as things are wrapping up, finally we're going to be getting those out to everybody, which we're really excited about. Mm-hmm. Were there pressures making you feel like you had to squeeze as many of the Elm Street alumni into the film as possible? Or were you fine with getting who you could and keeping the theme fan oriented? Uh, not at all. I don't think I, we, for us, we've been into this knowing that this is the fan story yeah. and that this documentary is all about the fans yeah. and we allowed them to drive where our story went. And so if they, if we got a lot of people talking about certain stars from the films, that's who we went and did an interview with, yeah. you know, a lot of people related to Rick, you know, the, the character Rick. So that's why Andras is featured in it more often because he, a lot of people really referenced him and same with like, you know, Nancy Thompson and Freddy Krueger. It's we, we didn't want the focus to be Robert, Heather, Lisa, all those people. The focus was always going to be the fans. So I don't feel like there was pressure mm. to get them. Um, and plus they've all been so like incredibly gracious with their time mm. and so incredibly like helpful to us and really excited for the project as well and to be a part of it because they have such a love for the fans and the fandom so I don't feel like it was a lot of pressure with them it was more pressure with the fans yeah, yeah. we actually have a bunch of interviews sub interviews that didn't I don't want to say didn't make the cut but didn't make the cut you know just yeah. because it yeah Paige said the story just didn't drive it there so it didn't make sense and we didn't want to just throw in you know names just because they're names because this not their story it's the fan story so yeah i actually wanted to ask about that i'm sure due to like time constraints too or restraints um you couldn't get everybody in there too right oh yeah for sure i think that we when we set out initially we very naively said we were going to have this film done in a year and a half and we were going to feature every single person that submitted we were that like smug and we soon learned that you could not uh, a year and a half we completely re shifted focus on the documentary and changed, you know, like what we were, were filming and, you know, who we were allowing submitting and stuff. And, um, you know, I think that we sat in the editing room and really looked at all of the footage for hours and weeks and really decided who would be, who says something the best. And so the documentary was three hours and six minutes long. 
and we showed it to some pretty like big people in the industry who we respect. And they were, they gave us like really great advice. They were like, listen, they're like, you're featuring a lot of fans and that's great. And it's commendable. But you know, if you have 10 <laughs> people saying the same exact thing, the person watching this is going to be extremely bored. And for me, I was so committed to no, I have to keep all of these fans in there without them. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. And, um, I don't know if you've seen the documentary Scream Queens, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Uh, Roman, the director, is a good friend of ours. He said to us in a meeting, he said, you have to be prepared to kill your baby. Yeah. yeah. He's like, it's the hardest thing, but you have to you have to do it for the best of your documentary. Yeah, so Kim yeah. and I went through and we we just in our mind were like, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna do this. And so we, we were like slash, we were like our own slasher. We're like, let's take this person off, let's take that person off. Um, and, but it was hard. It was hard, like knowing that we couldn't feature every single person or every single celebrity, Yeah, you know, we have amazing interviews, but just unfortunately, you know, which is also when we went through, um, the lawyer to get everything approved, there was a couple things that we had to slash that we really didn't want to slash, but we also want to get in trouble. And we wanted the lawyer to sign off on the project. So <laughs> that was, that was a little hard, um, you know, because by the time we got to that point, you know, we wanted everything that was in it, in it but shaved off two more minutes. So. We were going round and round with the attorney and I was like, well, this documentary said the same thing, but ours is funnier. <laughs> and she's like, do you want to get sued? And we're like, and we're like, no, we'll take it out. <laughs> I'm sure there's like a chance that there could be like a bonus uh, feature at some point, right? Like with more of the, the interviews that got cut. Yeah, we, Kim and I um, have, we made five bonus features so far. Cool. Um, one of them is Robert Kurtzman with uh, Jeremy interviewing Robert Kurtzman. It's like the coolest freaking thing ever. Oh, yeah. um, in studio tour as well, where you get to see like Robert England's like busts and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, we have a Ken Sagos. Uh, behind the scenes interview with him and Anthony Brownlee talking about their friendship and probably what is the funniest interview out of the entire thing but we could not put it in the documentary because it's nine minutes long uh, and we couldn't we can't cut any of it you when you see the you see it so, you'll see why it's so good it. yeah it's so good yeah. So that in itself is a, is a special feature. And then Kim, what else do we have? We have a couple other. Um, Chris Carbo experience, throwing a name out there, Chris, if you're listening, but uh, we actually drove to his house and filmed his entire collection, which was the most amazing collection. Jeremy, he definitely have a run on. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, it, you know, and we were so excited and we were so in awe of his collection. We actually didn't realize like, oh, there's music playing in the background, which we don't have the rights for. So that couldn't make it in the documentary. Uh, so we did a whole you know, kind of special behind the scene thing with, with that, his collection, which was fun. Yeah. So if you're putting something as like a bonus feature, are, are there rights issues for that? Like if there's music in it or does that not matter if it's on like a... a um, so that technically then falls on the distribution company okay. because they run it through legal and everything. And then they decide what they have to do. So yeah. like they have like their own editors and all of that stuff. So that would be on their end if they choose to use it, if they end up not using it for us, we could always put it on like our social media and stuff. Cause then you, we, you can do it copyright free for that. So. Mm -hmm. 
And speaking of collections, I know Jeremy, you have the pinball machine, the Freddy Freddy pinball. Dude, cool. that was that was a, a huge thing for me. That was that was something that I wanted more than anything for my collection for like 15 years. It took me literally that amount of time, 15 years to finally <laughs> to get it, man. It uh it was either because it's it's a big machine, it's heavy as fuck. So it was either the ones that were close to me were either so stupid expensive that I was like, all right, I, I can't swing that. Or if there was one that was like, you know what? I feel like I can swing that. It was in fucking California and the shipping would be tremendous. I also didn't know what drop shipping was at the time, um, which that really saves on shipping costs. If you are buying, like I've got other uh, arcade games now that I've gotten because I'm like, Oh, well just here's a drop shipping place. Just, bring it to this place and they'll ship it to me. And I just go pick it up at a drop shipping place near me. It's awesome. But uh, anyways, yeah. So it took me 15 years and I finally, I finally got it. And uh, the, the main artwork on the arcade, it's, it's called a trans light. You can open the arcade up and take the trans light out. And it's like a, almost like vinyl plastic thing, but you can still kind of roll it. And I mailed it to Robert England and he signed it. So dude, I have it. It's amazing. Uh, I play it pretty regularly still it's uh yeah. one of my my diamonds in my collection yeah i was in virginia a couple weeks ago a couple months ago i guess and uh i got to play it it was pretty fun fuck yeah you did and <laughs> you, your little you, abode. you were you were brave enough to sleep in my basement with all my life-size horror statues yeah <laughs> i love it Why not? <laughs> some, some people would be like Mm-mm, bro too many people looking over me for us horror fans, it might be the most comfortable place to sleep. That's it true. is. That's true. That's true. Uh, I, I don't know why my wife married me. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. We don't either. <laughs> Touché. We don't either. Touché. <laughs> um, so there's moments in the doc that get very emotional uh, for Paige, especially. I always wondered, are moments like this hard to capture or is it just pretty natural? Um. So this, this was our third or fourth time doing the dinner. Okay. And what you see on screen, we decided that we weren't really being super vulnerable in the other dinners. Like it wasn't really working. And it, it was hard at first to kind of open up and tell your story. Yeah. Even though these people have known us all for years, right? You know, but you have a camera in your face and you got to go and be vulnerable. And so this was our third dinner. So the first two were kind of like a practice round. And so this one, it felt more relaxed and more comfortable and more conversational. So it felt like it was easier to, to open up. And it's funny because we set everything a super structure. Everybody had 25 minutes to tell their story. We had time cards, cue cards. It was like a really like great set dance set and production. And we knew going in, I don't want to reveal too much or spoil too much, but we knew going in that my story was very heavy right? And Kim's like, all right, the, the order that we're doing this is you're going first, this, this, is. I was like, Kim, yeah. <laughs> my story goes first. I'm like, I gotta be all, so I think, I think opening up and talking about it kind of relieved a little bit of pressure. Yeah. And so other people then felt a little more comfortable to like share their stories because they weren't as heavy yeah. as mine. Um, and so I think it just felt, it felt comfortable. What, how do you guys feel? How do you guys feel? You know, I'm talking about your stories. I, I, I had, no issues um you know i i i get pretty pretty uh frequently you know about elm street and my background with it and um you know we even filmed some other things that we we ended up not using um 
as far as like some some things that I divulged and, and things like that. But I felt I mean, this whole project was all came from, you know, friends and from a loving place of a franchise. So, I mean, if you're going to make a documentary, you have to be honest, like otherwise, like what's the fucking point? Because a documentary is supposed to be a glimpse into the thing that you're featuring. So if you're if you're not going to be honest about your story, it just it serves no purpose at all. So I think everybody involved, you know, even though, you know, doing the dinner stuff, we, we did, like you said, page two to trial dinners. And um, I, I think everybody knew that they had to come to the table and be completely honest um, with their story. So uh, I, I had no issue coming forward and, and, and being completely honest with mine. Yeah, it's funny you asked that that question because um, in the beginning I was not going to be telling my story. I was not going to be um, a part of that whole, I guess, scenario. I was going to be more so behind, you know, the camera behind the scenes. But in speaking with Paige about things, she felt like, no, like you should tell your stories. So when I did sit down and tell my story it was very uncomfortable and in the editing process I realized I'm not really comfortable with some of the things I said at that dinner you know and um mainly because there were other people involved that I don't want to paint in a negative light at this point in time versus what had happened in my past so Paige and I kind of fixed it we all did as you'll see um kind of sit down one-on-one interviews with us so for the parts that we took out at the dinner to try to like wrap it up and make it sense more sense of you know what I was talking about um we addressed that in my my one-on-one sit down um which I felt made it a little bit more rounded it might have taken away like some people like well don't aren't you afraid it'll take away some of the emotion um but I just felt that was important because of where I was then versus where I am now so, mm-hmm. and for a lot of the actors, oh, sorry, uh, for, for a lot oh, of, no. the, uh, <laughs> um, were a lot of the actor like interviews done on the spot at the conventions, uh, like did you basically ask them the day of to take part in the interviews or had you set everything up prior with their managers? Uh, it depends on the, the celebrity. So the, the Toy Newkirk interview, that was set up in advance. And so Deandra Laser, who um, is a cast member and co-producer with yeah. us, her and I have a podcast called Elm Street Radio. And we have had a lot of the cast already on there. And so after our like interview, when we're just like talking and hanging out, we like mentioned to them like, Hey, we're doing a documentary on this. Like, would you ever be interested in like donating your, your time and we can come to you wherever you're at or a convention or, and every single one of them well, for the most part, everyone was like, yeah, Oh my God, of course, of course. And so we, we strategically planned filming events around the conventions that they were at. So we didn't take any time away from the fans, but then also we could capture them. And Scarefest is where we got most of our celebrity interviews. And the way that that was set up um, was almost perfect. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the announcer guy was like destroying our interviews. Uh, but um, it, had he not been there, it would have been a perfect setup because they're like little booths. And so we went right in. We sat up a, a camera. We gave them a list of questions and just had a really good conversation with them. Our, our booth at Scarefest was so much fun though. So a lot of them were leaving their tables and coming over and like hanging out with like us. And we have a lot of like that type of stuff that would be B-roll, but we just 
we don't didn't have anywhere really to put it in the documentary, but a lot of them knew advanced. We did when we went to Days of the Dead, South Carolina, or was it North Carolina? Uh, Charlotte, yeah, North Carolina. Charlotte, yeah. We went to Days of the Dead, Charlotte, and um, we met like the Dream Warriors cast there for the first time, and like Bradley Gregg and stuff like that, and Jennifer Rubin. They were like totally on board to do interviews, and unfortunately, because of COVID, when COVID hit, a lot of our last half of the bigger interviews that we were going to do got kind of mixed because we couldn't travel, you know. Look, where's COVID? Is Scarefest in Kentucky? It's in Kentucky. It's in Lexington. Oh, okay. I've heard good things about that one. It's a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, it, I, I've only been, I think, two or three times, um, one working and then the other times just having fun. And um, I loved it. The first time I went, I went with Anthony um, Brownlee, who's in the documentary as well. And we just, we went, we actually went because they had a uh, People Under the Stairs reunion. Oh, and man. We were so there. And. <laughs> We had a blast, and I think I think actually I I hit Jeremy up. I was like, dude, Scarefest is amazing. Like, you've got to come check it out. And yeah, it was it's a good one. I've only, been, only that's the reason I've, why I've only been <laughs> to the I've only been to the one and that we uh, for Fredheads, and it was fucking amazing. And the uh, the guest list for this uh, I think it's this October, also fucking amazing, man. They they put on a good oh. show. Yeah, I want. Oh, but I can't because my brother's getting married that same weekend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's why we didn't pitch them to have a screening because they're everyone who's there is featured in our documentary yeah. oh, and they're featured heavily. Yeah. We were going to pitch them for a screening after our premiere, but Kim can't go because the wedding. It and sucked. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so the last time I saw People Under the Stairs reunion was like 2013. It was that was in Syracuse at Scaricon. Oh, wow. Um, that was the only time I saw those guys out together. But. They don't do those yeah. too too often. No, that's why we jumped on it. <laughs> yeah. I actually worked on a set a couple of years back and our holding was literally at the house from people under the stairs. So I was like sitting on the porch. It was so sick. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Are you like geeking out? I'd be geeking out. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was cool because the girl that lived there was selling it soon. So we were just hanging out with her and just talking to her about it. And I asked her about the movie and stuff. And I think she was there when they did it. Yeah, so wow. she was she was there that whole time. Um, so what's everyone's consensus on the remake? What remake? Elm Street. There's a, a remake. <laughs> Elm Street. I, I, I'm picking up what you're laying down. Um, I'll, I'll go first on that. I I think it's an entertaining film. I think Jack Earl Haley did a great job with the material that he was given. I thought he was creepy. I liked his mannerisms. I liked his voice. Uh, the design of Freddy, they went for a more uh, real-life burn victim look, which I guess I can respect, but it's not what fans wanted or have come to love about yeah. Freddy. That's like, I don't know why these studios always think they know more than the fucking fans. Just like the Child's Play remake, man. They redesigned Chucky, and it looked so ridiculous and off-brand for <laughs> And off brand for that that character that it immediately pissed fans off. So I remember when the image of Jack Earl Haley as Freddy leaked on the internet, people were like, "No, that can't be real. He looks like a like a burned frog person. Like I don't know what that is." <laughs> and I, I can appreciate it on an entertainment level, but like obviously, if I'm gonna sit down and watch a Nightmare on Elm Street film, uh, I'm I'm not gonna watch that one. But I will tell you that if you put Freddy's dead 
and uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake next to each other. I'm watching the Elm Street remake over Freddy's Dead all day long. Yeah. Uh, I just, no way. I just found out yesterday that they're showing New Nightmare on film next month here. Oh, lucky. And I'm pretty stoked oh, on that. Yeah. Have you guys ever been the out best. here to do like the filming locations yet? Oh, yeah. Where where are you at? I'm in Burbank in LA. Oh, yeah. Like we did. We've all been out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. Age forty hit. We all went out there together and did a bunch oh, cool. of cool. So it's funny though because that time, um, we show up at the Nightmare House and <laughs> paid <laughs> cheering, and then yeah. we go to Harry Potter World and I'm cheering. So yeah. <laughs> I was like full fledged crying at the Nightmare House, and Kim's like, "Okay, like you know, it's like it's just she's excited." Yeah. And then we go to Harry Potter World, and she fucking loses it. And I was like, "You weren't even this way at the Nightmare House." That's so funny! <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was one of the best parts of the doc too. Is when you like had that reveal at the end for people who haven't been to the house, mm-hmm. and that that was awesome. It's my favorite part of the entire. It's my favorite part of the entire documentary. Is it really? That's that. Yeah, yeah. it's like I. That, so I don't want to give too much away, yeah. but Jeremy went first and he sent us footage and we didn't know. We didn't know that's what he was doing. We just knew that he was going out there yeah. and just, you know, doing stuff. And um, Aaron from Cavity Colors, right? Devin from Cavity yeah. Colors. What did I say Aaron? Devin, I, yeah. I, I didn't know Aaron was doing Devin went. Devin from Cavity Colors, like, filmed it. And, like, they had, like, it was such a good time. And we got this footage and Jeremy says the line at the end, which I don't want to spoil it. And I looked at Kim and I was like, this is how our documentary ends. I was like, I don't care all of whatever it is. This is the, this is exactly how our documentary ends. The pure joy in his face when he like sees it, like it's like a completion for him. Like he like, it's, it's he's made it. And so they were like, shit, now we all have to do it. <laughs> like, so like, we all have to like fly out there. Was that the first time so you ever went, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. That was actually the first time I'd ever been to LA was, was that trip. And I think that was like 2016, 2017. Yeah. Yeah, That was the first time I'd ever been out there, man. And I've, I've gone a thousand times since then. Yeah. (laughs) I always say Jeremy started the doc and he finishes the doc. Like he, the, the germ, the inspiration of the idea was in Jeremy's basement and that's what kickstarted this whole idea for the documentary. Yeah. And then what he did was the whole ending of our documentary. He has like a lot of like really great poignant moments yeah. in the documentary, particularly like at the end, I don't want to give too much away, but at the end, a lot of what he says, like Kim and I obviously have seen this probably thousands and thousands of times because of the amount of times that we've edited, yeah. but every time we watch that portion, it's like we're watching it for the first time. Yeah, it's so well, particularly for me, I feel like I'm watching it for the first time because it's what he says is just, it rings so true to like all of us. No, absolutely. And I feel like Jeremy was kind of like the comedy relief in the film a little bit. <laughs> Some yeah, of those yeah, clips. We're so uh, I'll, I'll take <laughs> it. My life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take it. Um, have any of you been Freddy for Halloween? I have. You have? Yeah. Uh, I went to a bar. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> okay. I went to Freddy, and uh, Freddy was fucked up that night. So yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a good time. That's great. Uh, who was the first Elm Street actor you all met? Oh, uh, first one I met was I 
Heather, Heather Langenkamp. And I didn't know anything about like horror conventions. I didn't know any of that type of stuff existed. And um, there was Days of the Dead, Indianapolis. And uh, I won a competition. I was going to get to go for my work. And I ended up, you know, not getting to go. And I was like really upset. And I couldn't believe I like didn't meet her. And um, then the another show came in November in Chicago. And I'm from Chicago originally. And I was like, this is it. Like, I'm going to go meet the nightmare cast. Like I, I only discovered this a year ago that you could do this. I was like, but I don't care. I'm going to do this. This is what I want to do. And I went and I was so freaking nervous. Um, but they were all in a row. It was Heather, Amanda, and then Tuesday. And I'm standing in line, wow. like geeking out. And Tuesday night sees me and Mike Prez, who now is my good friend, Mike yeah. Prez, and I look at each other and I'm like, <laughs> like, so like Tuesday and she's like Hi. and like it was it was the best like moment meeting the three of them and then from there we I've just met everybody and what what year was that which can what's your 2013 I would say oh, wow. 2012 2013 yeah. in that range yeah mine was was it's actually <laughs> the whole reason I got into going to conventions was because of Robert being at a convention at monster mania and that's what kickstarted all of it and it's funny because i went because i was so excited to meet him it was at monster mania 2005 and uh really early on and um i didn't actually get to meet him because the line was so long and it just you know first convention there were so many other people like i wanted to meet i just it didn't happen so the next time i think it was i got like 2006 he came back and I, I didn't even hesitate. I jumped, I jumped in the line and I think I waited like eight hours that day or something. It was a long day, but um, that's actually how I met Jeremy. <laughs> 2006. Yeah. And yeah. uh monster. Yeah. And what's wow. funny was that, uh, was that the first time that I got Freddie? Was that show where I met you, Tim? Or... No. So you met him at the 2005. That's but what I, I thought. Right okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. So I, I, the first, Elm Street cast member I met was Robert England, and I've I've told this story a thousand times as well. But uh, I I loved Elm Street so much, and and Freddy Krueger and Robert England that I literally Googled meet Robert England on like a desktop huge ass PC because it was like 2005, and uh, it popped up that he was going to be uh, in Cherry Hill, uh, New Jersey for Monster Mania, so I went. And literally, that show was amazing. Like, dude, Angus Scrim was there. Warwick oh Davis was there. And what? I didn't, dude, but I didn't plan on, like, getting autographs and meeting other people. But I remember walking past their booths. Dude, Warwick Davis was literally at a table right next to Angus Scrim. And I could have walked up to either one of them. But I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not an autograph collector. And I just want to meet Freddy Krueger. I want to meet Freddy Krueger and I want to go home. So I met, I just like him, I waited literally, like, hours and hours and hours to meet Robert England and I finally met him and I was like dude my whole life is fucking complete I I I didn't even know that you could bring items to get signed so I just got an eight by ten on his table which I still have I'll never get rid of it and literally I didn't drive my buddy drove uh shout out to Russell Ray and Zach Farkas because they went with me and I was totally starstruck but the whole ride home from that convention I just I looked at my eight by ten signed by Robert England to Jeremy you know Robert England, Freddy Krueger, and I was like, I can't believe I just met Freddy Krueger. Like, I'm so happy. Like, my life is complete. And that moment literally changed my life. And 
you know, has enabled me to meet not only all of my my best friends that I've met through this hobby and through a nightmare on Elm Street, but also like it's changed my life and the fact that it's made me a collector and like that kind of took me in a different direction as well. So I just uh yeah, literally meeting Robert England that day, I had no idea at that time that it was gonna be such a pivotal moment for me in my life. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely. <laughs> Um, and I'm actually just like Kim. I met Freddie for the very first time last summer, though, believe it or not, oh, and shit. waited eight and a half hours Woo! in Pittsburgh. Cool. I think I really one of the one of the worst experiences ever. But <laughs> <laughs> once I got to meet him, it was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's so crazy? I waited five minutes. My I was five minutes. We were at Spooky Empire, and yeah. he was busy, obviously, because it's Spooky Empire. But like, for some reason, when we went up, there was nobody there. And so I was like, okay, I'm third in line. I'm like, I'm standing there in my little Elm Street house, getting ready for him to like sign it. And I'm like, how is this happening? Because all I hear is like six hours, eight hours, four hours, like I'm like five minutes. And then since then, I think it took maybe an hour the last two times that like I met him. I've had good luck meeting him. That's That's awesome. I would never wait eight hours to meet. Dude, it. there I, I know a couple people. I'm I made friends with a couple dudes in uh, Oklahoma, and they went to uh, Texas Frightmare, and they literally waited in line all day long. I'm talking about like ten hours, and they never got to meet him. Ten hours and never got to meet him. I would lose my mind. Yeah, I w- I felt mm-hmm. so bad for them. So they, uh, my buddy Michael, that like I said, I I met him this year. He's super cool. He uh, he just went to another convention uh, recently uh, that England was going to be at, and, and he actually got to fucking meet him this time and got his his signature and stuff like that. And he was so pumped. He was like, "Dude, second attempt, and it went through." So I mean, like, yeah, he's somebody that if you plan on meeting him at a convention, you better get there early and get in his line as soon as you fucking get there. Well, that's exactly what I did. I I literally this was Pittsburgh, and I got there an hour and a half before the convention even opened. And then we went in and went right to Robert's line and yeah, it was eight and a half hours. And within the last 30 minutes, they cut the line off and they tried to cut it off in front of me. And I'm like, look, I came from, you know, California (laughs) and I, obviously I came home for other stuff too. And that was sort of just like a last minute add on, but I literally was like, you're not cutting it off in front of me and that's not happening. (laughs) And I made like a huge scene and then they were like, okay. And then they cut it off behind me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like but like 15 people behind me like everybody else that was around me was was with me they were like yeah we're not going anywhere <laughs> oh. it was sick there's got to be a better way to like regulate this at conventions because like they're even like now like it's not guaranteed that you're going to get to meet yeah. him like people are buying vip passes exclusively just to like meet him yeah. because his line is so long and so by that point there's however many hundreds of people in his line who have a vip pass you know, he's one man and he's getting older, you know, he can't be signing for, you know, 14, 15 hours. And so there's gotta be like a better way. Like, a, like, didn't they used to like do ticket systems and stuff back in the day? I like, so some, some, I mean, some conventions will do the ticket system and, and it works really well. Some, some conventions, they've got so many other moving parts going on that they're like, man, fuck a ticketing system. Just you want to meet them, get in line. So I, I can definitely yeah. respect the the ticket system shows uh, when they're run properly. 
I think it all comes down to the productivity of like the employees that are working there though, because I've had conventions that were great experiences and then other ones like the steel city one that just weren't because they would let him talk to people for five minutes at, you know, a piece and there's 3000 people online. You can't do that. Yeah. You know, you know, what's hard is, and this is a testament to Robert and truly to like all the other nightmare stars as well too. Like they don't want you to be just a paycheck for yeah. them. They don't want you to be just a cash. They want to give each person that comes to them their moment. Yeah, absolutely. And Robert is a storyteller. Robert is, if, and so if he really vibes with somebody yeah. who's at the thing or he sees a really cool piece of memorabilia that he's signing, like he wants to give that person that full experience because one, he knows they're waiting for them the entire time. Mm-hmm. And two, he knows he's expensive now. And so he's trying to, to do that. And so I commend him. So it's that, yeah. it's that double-edged sword. It's, it's like the Matthew Lillard thing, yeah. you know, Matthew Lillard's line is just as long because he gives each person their moment and he takes kids before anybody else. So if there's kids in line, they go and pull them out and bring them all to the front. And so oh. he, he really like, it's a testament to Robert and all the other nightmare stars as well too. So it's, there's gotta be some sort of balance though. There's gotta be something you know, like they need to cap the line sooner and, and a, you know, or cap it multiple times during the day, like yeah. cap it. And then and once it starts to clear up, start letting people come back yeah. in, in line again. Yeah. They just need a better system, but I, yeah, it's just a balance of how long I guess each person gets, but like, obviously yeah, you don't want to be rushed. I get that completely. Yeah. Uh, I just would rather have it be like a minute or two rather than five. And then just, if you want to come back and meet them again later in the day, then you'd be able to do that. You know what I mean? You know, the person who I think had the most productive line I've ever been in that is a megastar like like Robert and, and high demand is uh, Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker. I got uh, him in 2017 in New York Comic Con, and literally there were thousands of people in line. But Mark Hamill, he has a staff of people that work for him at these shows, and they have it down to a science to where, you know – you know, they're moving your items along before you even get to him. Now, obviously, you can put a post-it note and things and, you know, I want it signed like this and the staff will take care of you. Sign with this pen, yada, yada, yada. And like, he's somebody that because of all of the people in the line, he's not doing movie quotes. Um, he's not doing character names and stuff like that because all that takes extra time. So by the yeah. time you get to Mark Hamill, like they're sliding your item in front of him and he's like, hey, how's it going? Hey, it's great. It's nice to meet you. It's an honor. Oh, it's nice to meet you too. Wham, bam, bam. He signs your stuff. And he's like, Hey man, have a great day. It was really great to meet you. You, you get that exchange with him, but it, it, like I said, he literally, he has a staff of like 15 people that are moving the line along. They're handling your items. They're handling the pins. They're moving everything along. It's very proficient. You, you know, you get to speak with him. It's just like a photo op. Nobody bitches at photo ops. Like I didn't get to have a full blown conversation with them. Yeah. It's because people understand and we've been trained through going to these conventions that in the photo ops it's a hello how are you pose for the picture have a great day and you move along so yeah when you get to robert england's status and stature you know i feel like the mark hamill approach would be best you know have his people managing it and moving things along that way you're getting a hello uh you know i've been a fan of you my entire life oh thanks so much boom 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 you get your stuff signed and you move along You know, that way everybody gets to meet him and it's super proficient and you're not wasting 10 hours in a line to potentially not get him. Yeah, no, definitely. My opinion. Yeah, I can see 
one time I met Robert and I was actually, Paige, you were with me, but I was actually kind of embarrassed because he started going into his storytelling mode and I kept looking behind me like, oh my gosh, he's like, these people are going to get mad at me. And I didn't <laughs> yeah. too, but, you know, he did a, I saw an episode in the seventies, they did a Nancy Drew series yeah. and there's episode that he's in with Jamie Lee Curtis. Of course, this is pre-Halloween and this wow. is nightmare and i just brought it up like yeah i saw the one nancy drew episode that you were in, you know a biker guy and he went to this full story about how they had hell's angels teaching them how to ride bikes and wow and i was just like oh my gosh what did they do i opened a can of words <laughs> <laughs> what do they do in like like those photo op situations if somebody like blinks like what if you cut what if you get your picture and you like blinked they're pretty a lot of sorry no, I was like, God, we're the same. Yeah, thing. no, they're they're pretty good at catching it and being like, "Hey, hey, no, 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 you blinked, go back." Like the funniest shit was uh, when I met Jeff. Okay. Gold- when I met Jeff Goldblum, uh, me, <laughs> me, and, me and the Brains Duke uh, crew. It was me, Justin, and Brady uh, before we started the podcast together. Uh, but we uh, we were meeting Jeff Goldblum, and so we go up and we're like, "Hey, Mr. Goldblum, it's 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 really nice to meet you." And he goes, "Oh, yes, yes, it's uh, it's very nice to meet you. Yes, yes." And so we take we take the picture and literally we're walking uh, walking away and I was like, thank you so much. And he goes and I swear to God, Jeff Goldblum looks me dead ass in the eyes and he goes, I love you. And and like I didn't hesitate. <laughs> I didn't hesitate. I went, I love you, too. Like immediately said it. back to him. So then as I was walking away, uh, the photographer was like, hey, 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 no, nope, no, nope. need to redo. One of you guys blinked. Didn't say who, oh didn't say God. who, but I'm going to go ahead and call it. It was fucking Brady, that motherfucker. But uh, of course. <laughs> so we go back and I looked at Jeff Goldblum and I said, oh, I'm sorry, we're back. And Je- I swear to God, Jeff Goldblum went, oh, thank God I missed you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he's funny. Yeah, he's hilarious, <laughs> dude. He's, he's great. But yeah, the first person I ever met from the Elm Street cast was Amanda Weiss at uh, Horror Find in 2011. That was the first one. But yeah. She's so sweet. She's awesome. Yeah. She like sat with me because I was like, I was like a kid then. I was like 14. And she was just like sitting with me telling me stories and stuff. I, I love that. That's awesome. I uh, um, I cried with her, which is really weird. Uh, what? I'm not, I'm not a crier. My wife, uh, she gets pissed because I don't cry. She's like, you have no, you're like a fucking robot. You have no emotion. Um, <laughs> dude, it was, it was right after Wes Craven died. And uh, the horror hound put on the, you know, the huge Nightmare on Elm Street show. And so I walked up and, um, and Wes was brought up and all of a sudden she was just like, I know Wes. And she got teary eyed. And I could tell that somehow us, you know, the things that we were saying about Wes really resonated with her. And she started crying, dude, next thing you know, like I could feel it coming on. And I was like, Oh no, don't, don't do it. Dude. You've never done this before. Don't do it. And like, I, I had no control. I was so heartbroken about Wes Craven's death that like, next thing you know, like I was fucking crying. She was crying. We had a moment where we were hugging and we were both crying. Um, definitely a moment that I'll never forget. She's a really nice lady. Yeah. Very. That was a very emotional convention. There was definitely a lot of, crying and exchanges going on um i think that whole weekend it was overwhelming that was a very overwhelming convention for all of us it was we all essentially like lost our godfather yeah you know the godfather of horror and 
it was like the the rumor was is that he was going to be there that he was going to surprise yeah. everybody and be there and so we were all hyping and getting excited because we were like everyone was hearing these rumblings of like hey Wes Craven's going to be at this convention they're not going to advertise that he's going to be there and then it was like what a week or two before the convention he passed away yeah, yeah. yeah. and so then when we went there it became instead of of uh, oh my god we're going to see Wes Craven it became a like a celebration of his life yeah yeah and everybody like everybody was to me that was probably one of the first times that I felt like a real sense of community was at that convention because we all were there together feeling the same emotions going through the same thing the love of everything seeing everyone's costumes and and seeing all of the stars there everybody like Everybody was wearing like we had like we had uh, West for West pins that we made um, that said for West and you know Jeremy had like the the what were they the ribbons and like people were passing out like people were in t-shirts and it just was nothing but like a love fest for West Craven yeah and it was to me that was probably my most favorite convention I think I've ever been yeah. to yeah I'll never forget he actually died the day I moved to California was positive because I had just driven across country with my dad. And we were literally having dinner like that day after just being exhausted from driving all week. And I just, I'll never forget seeing that, like right, right as we like sat down to eat, you know, and I was just like this, the day I get here, you know, like how crazy is that? And then I went to the, uh, the West Craven tribute actually at the Egyptian theater. And I think his son was there and that was, that was emotional. They, they showed Elm street and serpent in the rainbow and they had Robert England. And yeah, that was, that was cool, but it was super sad. Um, but yeah, Jeremy thinks there's a chance that there's going to be another Elm street sequel with Robert England due to the success of this Halloween trilogy. Do you guys think that'll happen? Um, I mean, it's actually funny Paige and I were just talking about this, but, um, we think there could be potential possibility, um, not maybe him in makeup, but maybe him narrating. Okay would be fun i think that would be cool. yeah, i'd be down for that <laughs> i just can't picture anybody else pitch. playing him though that's the only problem like as so we have a pitch you know get a younger person to play younger freddy so therefore the fans won't be upset it doesn't look exactly like him you know yeah and maybe get him to do the narration of it i think that would be a really amazing amazing thing to see so we'll see. i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in uh so <laughs> So drop they, that knowledge on us. I'm about to drop. I'm gonna drop them knowledge bombs, yo. Um, Here we go. <laughs> so, okay. So they just filmed. WB just filmed the Flash with Ezra Miller. It's been highly publicized lately. We won't get into all that craziness. But <laughs> Michael Keaton, 30 years after his last time portraying Batman, has come back to the character. Right, 30 years since he played Batman. Here's the deal. Michael Keaton wasn't doing any stunt fighting. He wasn't doing any stunt performing. He was doing the close-ups. He was in the back yeah. costume for the dialogue scenes and for the, the scenes where he's stationary as Batman. I mean, dude, even in the original Batman movies, he wasn't the one doing the fight scenes, maybe a couple like quick punch things, but it was always a stunt performer. So yep. what I think is going to happen is if you watch the new motion logo for Blumhouse, you know, before their movies play, they have their logo. It's a motion logo now. Yeah. It looks like there is a fedora in something else on a chair. It goes very quickly. Fans have been speculating very heavily. Uh, Blum 
Jason Blum also recently said that he really wants to make it. And literally, and this is a quote, he goes, if we make it, I'm going to get Robert England back as Freddy Krueger. I can get anybody to come back. I just got Ellen Bernstein to come back uh, in, an, in an Exorcist movie, and she's in her late 80s or 90s, however old she is. So, yeah. so what I think is going to happen is I think that, yes, if they're able to get the ball rolling, I think that Blumhouse potentially already has the rights, and it's just being very hush-hush right now. I think Robert England is coming back as Freddy, and it's going to be the Batman effect. It's going to be, you know, he's going to be the one that where when he's just standing there and talking or taunting or whatever, or just or just walking, it's going to be Robert England. I think any stunt thing, you know, it's going to be a stunt performer. And it's it's very, you know, especially with Robert's age, he doesn't really need to do a whole lot of Freddy Krueger. He's menacing as he is. And you use a stunt performer for the rest. So that's my yeah. opinion of what I think is going to happen. He'll be back. Right. He'll be he'll be back. We in all the makeup. Hope you're right. He'll be back in the makeup. I'm telling you. Yeah, I think I think so. And it's it's super funny. John Carpenter's already being like, oh, there's going to be more Halloweens even after ends because oh, yeah. <laughs> they all know <laughs> money, money. It's show business, right? Yeah, that's going to that's going to mm-hmm. kill at the box office. No pun intended. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so why do you guys think Nightmare on Elm Street is so important to its fans? Man, I think there's, I think there's several things. I think that it hits a certain memory in you of nostalgia that a lot of people really relate to and resonate to. A lot of people look at those times um, when those films came out and stuff like that as like a, a renaissance and horror. Yeah. And so it like resonates with them a little bit. Um, and then a lot of people like in our documentary talk about how it's, they see the bigger picture or the bigger side of it or a deeper meeting that it's not just a slasher film, that it's a survival story. And I think that that connects with a lot of people. And I think that these films, you know, not to, to shit on other horror films or anything, because I think, I think every horror film has its place, but I think this set of films stands out so different because there's development in the characters, there's development in the actual film and the people around them and so they're not just slashing and dicing you actually feel for these characters and you can see yourself in these characters and i think that it just resonates with with so many people and that's why it's so lasting you know Mm -hmm. yeah i have to agree with Paige 100 i just feel they're you know i I like all horror pretty much and I, i there's something different they stand out i think it has a lot to do with the characterizations of not just the villain, but all the players involved. And it just feels a little smarter in, in a sense. Um, yeah. I think um, I think any franchise films like, like An Emory and Elm Street also, they're, for us, the reason nostalgia is so big, specifically now, is because these movies and these franchises and these tentpoles are literal time capsules for us. Because when we think of A Nightmare on Elm Street... And we we think of those movies, it brings us back to when we first saw them, you know, to a simpler time in our lives or uh, whatever drew you to them in the first place. So when a new one, you know, comes out or or things like that, it's like I said, it's a it's a it's the reason I think it stays with people is because it's a time capsule. You remember the first time you saw it and it's a very special thing to you. So going back and revisiting it is is a very special, sometimes almost religious like experience. 
So if there was anything you could do differently or change about the documentary, if you had the chance to start over or are you content with it? You know, <laughs> um, if there were, I, I love the documentary that we have. Yeah. I love the documentary that we have and I will always love it for it being our first documentary, yep. really learning like the process of everything. Um, but if I could change anything, um, I, I feel like there are certain, certain interviews that I do wish that we could have had that we could have gotten. Mm -hmm. Um, but just because of the pandemic, you know, but then in, in reality, it would make the documentary longer. And yeah. I really like where it's at. I, I love, I don't know if now I'm talking it out. I don't think there would be anything I would do differently. Yeah. I actually, I really love what we have. I feel like it's, it's not perfect, but neither is the original nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that it just, it's a love letter to the community. And so I don't think I would change anything. No, I would agree completely. <laughs> were to go back and change anything it wouldn't be the documentary that it is today because mm -hmm. you know even just our own filming experiences shaped what we put in you know there was a time we, we got some footage at a convention and they're like you know what we need to go to another you know we need like a bigger sample pool we need to do this so it really kind of took shape because of that um I just wish it didn't take five and a half years but yeah <laughs> But, you know, a lot of that is because that first year and a half was wasted. You know, that first year and a half of filming was we wasted a year and a half. And so when you look at it, realistically, yeah, it took us five years, but we only shot for like a year, year and a half. And I feel like our next project, whatever it is that we do, we now are going in with so much knowledge and so much of a strategic plan of, no, this is what we are doing. This is what we learned because we had, we made a fan film, you know? And Jeremy made a, a feature film, but he made like an indie feature, like an indie horror. And, but none of us had really ever really done anything on this type of scale. And so we, we just made a fan film and we didn't know really what it was going to take going into it. And it, it took five years. I mean, that that's oh. independent filmmaking at, at its finest. I mean, like, you know, we've mentioned our, our good friend, Mike Perez, you know, a few times uh, during this, this uh, podcast. And, uh, I mean, he's, you know, he's doing it on a much larger scale. And even, even that it takes time when you're doing these things on your own without major studio backing. I mean, I backed his project, uh, the night of the demons documentary, like several years ago, he's still working on it because he's working on many things right now. And he's doing it on the level that he's doing it and making movies takes time. You know, when people, when I was making my first feature, people were like, well, when, when is it coming out? You know, it's been like, <laughs> it's been a couple of years. I'm like, dude, I could put this thing out last year, but it's going to, it's not going to be good. And like how many bad independent films come out all, you know, all the time it happens because people, they go out there, they film it and they, they crank it out and they just put it out. Cause they're like, here, here it is. Here's the thing that I made. And it's like, you know, if you would have taken more time with it and done it the right way, like it would maybe have a longer shelf life for people. So like these things just take time. And, you know, like Paige was saying is, especially making a documentary, you know, you have a vision in your head for what it's going to be, but a documentary is you're, you know, telling other people's stories. And sometimes it takes a whole new life 
on that you weren't anticipating. And that changes the entire trajectory of where you thought the documentary was going. And then you have to, you have to change as the story is changing and evolving. And that's something that happened with this film is we kind of had an idea of what it was going to be. And then it ended up being something completely different. And we just rolled with the punches and just rolled with the story and the narrative. But that took extra time, but that was necessary to get the product that we got that we're all very happy with. No, absolutely. Well said. Um, what's the overall plan for the release? Like, are you guys hitting the film festival circuit or is there any Blu-ray news that you can drop? So we, uh, legally cannot talk about the next steps. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we have our premiere September 11th with Horror Hound. Um, but then after that, we have been advised to say, stay tuned because there's some great news coming up. Perfect. (laughs) That's more than enough. That's awesome. Stay tuned. <laughs> so wait, where is this screening on, on 9-11? Whorehound. So it's Whorehound, Whorehound Cincinnati. Oh, cool. At 1.30 p.m. Red carpet starts at 1. Awesome. Is that still at the Sharonville Convention Center? The yes. I went yeah. there like 10 years ago once. Yeah. So the, the film itself is, um, I believe they're holding it across the street with all the, the film festival that they do there. So it's not at uh, the yeah center but yeah the, the the convention itself is still Sharonville. no cool and um i love the poster for the film it has like a real 80s vibe to it who created that uh that was steve rice the amazing steve rice we um uh we were we rebranded kim and i we sat together we had a meeting and we were like listen this documentary is not what we originally set out to be let's let's completely rebrand let's really lean in heavily to that 1980s neon electric vibe that we're that we've come to realize that we love editing and that was our editing style so we're like let's really lean into that and uh we're very fortunate to know like a lot of like artists like a lot of people who are um in this community and I just kind of put like a PSA out and I was like hey a bunch of people tag you know some people some artists in there and my friend Steve hit me up and he's like, well, I'd be interested in doing it. And I was like, well, I didn't think you had time. <laughs> I was like, all right. So, so he did it and it, it just, it's so amazing. Like it, so cool. in, in like the neon lights and stuff like the, the black yeah. lights, it's like super dope. Like it's so, it's just so cool. It's, it's my favorite poster that we've had. We, we've had three. And so this is my, it's my favorite of what we have no i love it and i love the title sequence in the film and the logo itself is super cool he did, obviously did the logo too right no we did kim and i designed the logo. oh wow no way that's awesome freaking love it <laughs> yeah that's that was cool. part of the branding move that we did so wow we wanted something let's make it like a neon sign like let's make it like an out i was like all right yeah that's super it cool. might they kept seeing like an old hotel like vacancy sign like just flashing you yeah. know and like I, I was like I, we have to do that we have to go that route <laughs> no absolutely it's super effective um any plans for any future projects yes awesome. <laughs> yeah. um uh there's a there's a couple things in the works um we have some ideas that we've tossed around too we i know for for myself um that i want to take a break from documentaries for like a year and kind of do maybe like a short film or do a feature film um and so but after that there is a plan and a, a pitch for a documentary that we 
really want to do. Yeah. Um, that we're hopeful we can get in the room with this person and say, look at, we're hoping that Fred Heads is a success critic wise. We we don't care financial wise, like that'd be great. But yeah. like we want it to like be a critic a critical success because we want to then take that and say, hey, this is our team. This is what we can do. Mm-hmm. Give us a budget mm-hmm. and imagine what we can really do. Yeah. Um, because we put this thing together with like a glue and shoestrings, you know. <laughs> so like if we had like a real like budget, what we could really do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, our team has grown. Our team has grown. We have like so many people on our team who are actual cinematographers now and not just like me and Ken behind a camera trying to make it look good. Um, and so we've got a I've got a couple ideas. I know Jeremy and Kim, you guys are you guys have ideas too, don't you? Oh yeah. Absolutely. I got I was- a whole new full. <laughs> I want to do one on the Chucky series so bad. Call it good guy. <laughs> there's there's a couple Chucky documentaries coming out, man. Uh, or or I know of, of, is there... of I know of one yeah. one one is coming out. Um, that uh seems like it's gonna be pretty rad. Really? Is it like official? I know, there's another one. There is one. There's a uh, Kira Gardner, who is Tony Gardner's daughter, the special effects guy. She did a documentary about um growing up with Chucky, like using like Chucky as like her sibling, her brother, she's like younger. Um, and she's a filmmaker. She's, uh, she just like graduated film school and they're, um, they're doing it like my life with Chucky style thing. And she's shopping it around right now. They just had their premiere at popcorn fights, but, um, she's shopping it around right now for distribution too. So, and then there's, I think there's another one that's coming out too, or that's in production or, or pre-production right now. Did you say that was, that was Kevin Yeager's daughter? No, Tony Gardner. Oh, Tony Gardner. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's Tony Gardner's daughter, Kira Gardner. Cool. I think it's her name. I think with the we'll see a lot more resurgence with with Chucky and Child's Play because of the amazing series that has come out and brought some redemption to the remake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, no, for sure. Yeah. And I know, uh, I know, Jeremy was just in the Barn Two that just premiered. Yeah, I'm. I'm I that... haven't seen it yet. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Did anybody say if you made the cut? Oh, dude, I made the cut, man. <laughs> <laughs> you made the cut. They, they, they ain't cutting me out, dog. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> but yeah, so me and uh, fellow Fredhead Anthony Brownlee got to work on the barn, too, for three days. And it was a really, really cool scene. Uh, very, very long days <laughs> that we worked on it. And it uh, it was great. And it was, you know, Justin, his, his studio that he had built um, on his property is fucking amazing it's it's ridiculous and it was it was a really cool experience and you know i i loved the barn one uh the first one and absolutely you know i it was you know i became justin uh friends with justin after you know that movie came out and when he approached me and was like hey do you want to like be in this thing i was like uh fuck yes so i went out to penisylvania and uh (laughs) penisylvania and we we filmed for a couple days and it was great and uh, I'm sure that the movie is fucking amazing and I can't wait to see it. Hell yeah. Yeah, they just had the the big premiere. I was uh, seeing a lot of friends who went to that or posted about it. I was kind of uh, jealous yeah. I couldn't myself. Same. No, but it's it's, it's films like that. Like, why? It's it's films like that and films like Fred Heads like that just get me super stoked because I just I love seeing like lower budget films like actually get like a big audience. Like I think that's the coolest thing in the world. Like Terrifier, like the fact that Terrifier 2 is coming out is crazy. Like who would even have thought that that was going to be big? Yeah. 
that was such a good movie yeah it's great um but yeah i just want to see more like indie filmmakers find success like i love that um yeah that's what we're hoping we've we've the the three of us and and other members of our team too like everyone's like it's like a giant think tank i feel like with our group like everyone's just constantly like throwing out like this idea or that idea and everyone like what i love about our group and our friendship is that like like all of us like expand and have circles outside of the the circle that we all have and everybody's like doing their own thing they're doing their own projects or they're they're doing their own podcasts or youtube channels or they're writing their own films or they're writing books and and i feel like everybody is so supportive of each other and we all are like each other's like biggest cheerleaders. And so I feel like everybody's just brimming with ideas like all the time. And we're hopeful that we can start putting more stuff out now that we're like done with this documentary yeah. and devote time to, to films and stuff. And I'm sure yeah. if you, I'm, I'm sure if you shop the, the film around to like all the various film festivals and conventions that, you know, it'll pick up a huge audience because of the fact that a lot of the interviews are at conventions too. Like, I feel like people are going to be stoked about it. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that definitely is um, one of the, the plans and, you know, for the future. Um, but just to kind of elaborate more on what Paige is saying, the other thing about this group is, you know, it's funny because our production companies and Venn pictures, you know, the Venn diagram, we're all so very different. We all bring different ideas or things to the table um, that really, I, I think, makes, you know, as she says, the think tank makes it a little bit more rounded, you know, Jeremy's got his unique style, you know, Paige for unique style. And then when you combine these unique styles, you know, you kind of, you get something that isn't already out there kind of feel. So I really, I really enjoy working with a group of people that have that, I guess that there's differences, but yet we're so alike. <laughs> yeah. No, you guys definitely mesh well together. It, it came out really well. So you guys should be proud. Monday at 8, Fox 11's Nightmares Week begins. This is no dream. This is Freddy. This is a nightmare on Elm Street. Come to Freddy. When you close your eyes, the nightmare begins. This is just a dream. He isn't real. Say hello to Freddy. Then say goodbye. The original Nightmare on Elm Street, a world television premiere. Monday at 8 on Fox 11. Your discretion is I got a little bullshit speed round that I put at the end of every episode. It's just a lot of bullshit. Yeah. And you just kind of <laughs> answer it. <laughs> All right. It's a uh, favorite Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. Last Craven's New Nightmare. Okay. Dream Warriors. Yeah. New Nightmare for me. Yeah, it'd probably be Dream Warriors for me. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> All time. The two best ones. Yeah, I mean, they're almost like tied, actually. That's that's almost a hard pick because that new nightmare is fucking great. Yeah. Um, all time favorite Freddy line. Does it have to be Freddy or is it nightmare? It has to be for Freddy. Like, uh, Freddy? Yeah. Welcome to my uh, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Um, I would probably also go welcome to primetime bitch it's just so iconic it is iconic yeah i would have to say that too yeah i would think because it is it's it's like the first one oh, that comes to that, mind always you know yeah that or i love how he says in part four welcome to wonderland Alice. yeah yeah i love when the door opens and he's like 
Welcome to Wonderland, Alex. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I, you've got so many good lines. Yeah. Grape jelly or strawberry jelly? Strawberry. Uh, strawberry. Strawberry. What the hell? Um, <laughs> best horror convention. Oh. I don't know if I can do that. I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> uh, horror hound. Because I, I feel like <laughs> they take chances on reunions sometimes. And I feel like they're constantly pushing to get... Uh, a slew of new people into their shows that have never done shows before where, you know, obviously with a lot of these other conventions, you know, there's, there's your talent agents, right? There's your Sean Clarks and your Mike Perez and different things where they have a Rolodex of people that they can, they can book into your convention. So I feel like a, a lot of these conventions, they just go and they use the Rolodexes, right? Because why not? Yeah. It's easy. I'm an, are these people available? Cool. I'm going to book them. But I, I respect Horror Hound because I feel like they they specifically try to go outside the box and not just utilize those Rolodexes that are available to them. Like um, the chick from the original Candyman that's also in the new one, uh, Vanessa Williams, right? That's her name. Uh, like she was somebody that she doesn't have a, like a talent agent. They reached out to her directly and were like, we're doing you know, this event with Candyman and we'd like to bring you in and they convinced her to come themselves. Like that's a lot of work doing that. And that's a lot of back and forth and negotiating to where I feel like a lot of other shows don't take the time to do things like that. So I, I, I love many horror conventions. So by me saying horror hound, it's not a slight against other conventions that I attend regularly, but I, I have to say horror hound because I feel like they're constantly pushing to do new things. Yeah, they do do a great job. Yeah, when he puts it out like that, yeah, it's hard to argue. So, but there's just so many I've been to that I have so much fun. You know, Monster Mania always have a special place in my heart because it was my first. You know, yeah. so it's just hard to to pick in that sense. That's how I feel with Horror Find. I feel like I haven't been to one that was that sick since. Plus, in 2011 and like pre 2011, autographs were literally twenty dollars. Yep. Yeah. And that was like crazy. <laughs> that was, that was my first co- convention ever, ever. I spent, I, I know I spent over $400 that day on autographs and I got pretty much everybody. And that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> what about you Paige? I don't, honestly, I don't know if I could choose. I feel like they all have like elements that I love. And then mm-hmm. I horror hound has just always been really good to us. Mm-hmm. And um it's always been fun and a blast you know so i think i think i'll stick with the the, the crowd and say horror hound but that doesn't slight any other convention yeah. that we worked with they're all amazing they're all amazing in their own right and yeah you know that's like choosing your favorite child like how can you do yeah, that right you know? <laughs> um out here we have like monster palooza which is pretty cool and son of monster palooza there's like two that happen and we've been starting to get like these new conventions. Like there's one called creepy con that happens in February. And that'll be like the second time this next February. And there's a new one this fall called, I think just horror con LA, but they already got Kevin Yeager from child's play and Catherine Hicks. So that's pretty cool. And they're like, they're starting uh-huh. to get some decent ones. Kevin Yeager also from some of the Elm street films. Yeah. Yeah. And, and didn't he like direct bloodline? Uh, he did. He used uh a fake name a pseudonym yeah uh because the studio interfered and did a whole bunch of fuckery so he was like he had to go to the uh director's guild and was like i want the alan smithy credit on this film i don't want my fucking name on this 
this is not <laughs> my film. And it's very hard to get the director's guild to allow you to use the Alan Smithy credit. But he yeah. pitched such a good case that they were like, okay, Alan Smithy fucking directed Hellraiser 4. <laughs> Fun fact. So that's hilarious. So he must have really hated the movie then at that point. It's just not his movie. He, he'll, I mean, yeah. he'll tell you, you know, everything that I've read and seen from it is that he's like, dude, it, uh, it, I had a specific script and I shot it in a specific way to where, you know, Peter Atkins, he, uh, he wrote Hellraiser 2 and 3. He was on board for Bloodline as well, Hellraiser 4. And the studio was fucking with Kevin Yeager so hard that, like, literally Peter Atkins quit. He was like, okay, like, I'm out. Like, yeah. they they took what we were going to do and they're fucking with it to, to the point now where it's like there's no creative nuance to this thing whatsoever. They're fucking it up. So I, I'm out. So Peter Atkins quit. And he said he felt horrible. He was like... You know, Kevin Yeager, I'm so sorry, but for my own sanity and creative, you know, namesake, I have to leave. And, you know, uh, Kevin Yeager stayed on board and he kept trucking the whole time, but the studio kept fucking with him. And once they they re-edited the film and, and all types of stuff, like he was like, all right, fucking Alan Smithy, this bitch, I'm out. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> uh, what's everybody's favorite horror movie? There's that pick your favorite child thing again. <laughs> Well, well, there's got to be one. There's got to be one. <sighs> Mass Craven's Do Nightmare, I'm going to say. Really? Okay. Yeah. I feel like the, the, there's something about that freeway scene that, like, it's my it's my most favorite scene in the entire cinema world, right. like in any film, that freeway scene. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it just holds strong that that's, yeah. you know. Plus, I'm a Carpenter fan. Like I, or not a Carpenter fan, a, a Craven fan. I'm not a, I'm not like a Carpenter fan. I'm not into like Friday the Thirteenth. So the most of the horror that like I love and have seen is just a lot of like Wes Craven stuff. Yeah. And so I would, other than that, I would have to say Scream. Other if it's not nightmare related, it would have to be Scream. Scream. Um, I, I guess I'll go. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's tough because my list changes. And, oh, it's Halloween. It's Halloween. Uh, it's Halloween. It is because I feel like it's, perfect, <laughs> it's a perfect film. You know, Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street is right there with it. Yeah. But Halloween is a is a perfect film to me. It's so simple. It's so effective. Um, I'm in love with it. Like to the point where, like, I even just the score is relaxing to me because it's like soul food for me. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Like non Elm Street film, I would say Halloween. Okay. God, I guess it's left on me. It's so tough because, like, again, I just I, I love most all the franchises. Of course, Nightmare is my my favorite franchise. But if I'm going outside of the box, the one that I probably have watched the most, have laughed the most, have shown most of my friends who haven't seen it is House of a Thousand Corpses. I really oh, yeah. like it. It is so fun. That's got <laughs> such a great atmosphere in that movie. It's just disgusting and it's scary and I love it. Yeah. So I know that's kind of a, a weird one to pick. But. No, I, I love that movie. Honestly, I was thinking of rewatching the, the trilogy, maybe minus three from hell. <laughs> See, I really like three from hell. I know oh, Jeremy man. had a conversation about that, but I can't um, stand I, that movie. <laughs> I, a lot of people didn't, but for some reason, for I actually like that one better than Devil's Rejects. Devil's Rejects was a hard watch for me. It was just so brutal. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was it was a little hard for me to get through, but I do like House though. That one's a fun one. So. 
what uh, horror movie are you guys most looking forward to in 2022? I still haven't seen Nope. And so that's the one that I was looking the, the most forward to. I stopped watching trailers after the Us trailer. Okay. Like, it, to me, like, that trailer gave the entire film away. So when we sat in the theater and watched it, in the first five minutes, I looked at my husband and I was like, I know the entire plot of this film. I'm going to write it in my notepad and show it to you at the end. And I was like 100% spot on. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to stop watching trailers. So for a while, I didn't know what films were coming out. And then everybody started talking about Nope. And I'm like, oh, I feel like that's going to be like right up my alley. So for me, that's what I'm most excited for. Yeah. Um. So I would have so <laughs> yeah, at this point, like I can't think of any other horror films off the top of my head that I'm like, oh, shit, I'm really looking forward to this. Halloween Ends was not my most anticipated movie of 2022. Um, but as, as we're winding down the year, um, at this point, it would be actually, I would put Evil Dead Rise before that. So hopefully, uh, you know, that fucking comes out. I don't even know yeah. when it was supposed to come out, but, uh, how October? I want to see, I want to see. Um, there's a film called Barbarian that just played here and it's not out yet, obviously, but when it comes out, I think it's going to do very well. And I think, I think it's like a take on an Airbnb situation. Mm. That's what I heard, but it, it did really well at the screening the other night. So that might be a big one to look forward to. That sounds fun. I yeah. like that. I like that premise, that plot. It's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, so for 20, gosh, I get excited for like every horror movie that comes out. It doesn't matter how like cheesy or how whatever. Um, but I will say I was really looking forward to, to Nope. Um, I, I mean, counting down, can't wait, got to see it opening weekend. And I did enjoy it, but sadly I didn't enjoy it as much as I hoped I would yeah. compared to we brought it up earlier. Pray. I think when I saw that trailer, I was, it, again, that excitement came back and, and it delivered. I think that was absolutely genius what they did with Prey. So mm-hmm. um, it's possible between those two recent. How about you, Paige? Uh, I would say, I would say no. Oh, still. Oh, you already I, said that. My bad. Nope. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. No, because I was trying to think if there are any other ones out. Yeah. I mean, I, Halloween ends. I am excited for. I'm not a super like fan of Halloween. My husband is, yeah, but like, yeah. I really like Kyle Richards. So like, I'm excited that yeah. like she's back in it again. Um, but I don't really know any other horror films that are coming out this year. I've yeah. been kind of stuck behind a screen for the past year, and like, so I don't really know what's coming out. Truthfully, what about that that orphan prequel? <laughs> Oh, there's an orphan prequel. <laughs> is that that's, okay. a, that's a prequel, right, Jerry? Yeah, I think it, it's, it's a, a prequel. <laughs> it's a prequel, but they use the same actress who is now a lot older. Yeah. They have people on like stilts and platform shoes to make them like make her appear smaller, and they're not using any CGI to de-age her. Yeah. They're just going to go off of what she looks like now. So to me, that's my least anticipation yeah it's a little silly i did like i did like orphan though so i'll give it a chance but yeah with that aspect it is kind of ridiculous but we'll see (laughs) i love the original orphan though i love that whole story like it was creepy it was fun it was definitely creepy did not see that coming and i liked the whole like black light thing they did in there like in like the the room where she like would paint or finger paint or whatever the hell that was yeah it was cool i've never seen the orphan oh jeremy on it are you an orphan dude uh i 
yeah, I feel like one since I'm the only person that has seen that fucking movie. Um, wow. Yeah, so some of my best friends, they fucking love it. They're like, man, I love killer kid movies or, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, with the twist. But uh, the new <laughs> one, the new one is apparently very good. I know somebody that's seen it and said it was better than the original. Really? Huh? Okay, cool. Um, we should do an episode maybe. just on that, like a discussion. <laughs> yeah, dude. You, know, you haven't seen it. I, I need to watch um, both of them. Blockbuster or Hollywood video? Hollywood video. Blockbuster. What was that? I heard I heard Jeremy. I didn't hear anybody else. Oh, Blockbuster video. I'll take either at this point. I'm missing both. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. But no, Hollywood video, definitely. I felt, um, at least where Jeremy and I grew up, they it was huge. It was bigger than the Blockbuster. Yeah. Um, it was it was pretty incredible, but yeah, I would take any video store back at this point in time. We didn't have a Hollywood video. I'm from I'm from Chicago. We only had Blockbuster, and then we had like places like local, like small little neighborhood places. Yeah, but we didn't have like that type of thing. So Blockbuster was our go to. Yo, in Chicago, we didn't we didn't have we had it in like we had family so video. like in like Indiana. And like Indiana, they have family video and stuff like that. But in like living in the actual city, you don't have like a lot of like chain places yeah. like that. You have like a lot of like mom and pop, you know, places. I'm from Buffalo. We had we had family video too. Um, we had Blockbuster Hollywood and family. Yeah. Yeah, they just actually closed all their. Uh, they had a bunch of Ohio locations, but COVID pretty much killed it for for them yeah. all. That, that was a sad moment because, as far yeah. as I know, the some of the last. Mm-hmm. yeah they closed ours too sad what's your uh favorite halloween candy candy corn <laughs> it's it's pretty great i love it pumpkins the little you know the little oh my god the little mellow yeah. cream pumpkins yes oh my god all the way up. i like the Reese's pumpkins oh I'm that's with- actually that's I'm like with, my favorite thing. I'm with Paige all the way. Like they put more peanut butter in the holiday yes. in the holiday Reese's than they do in the regular ones. So like it's just a different experience. It's, it's like great. a thinner chocolate coating too. So it's not like a super thick like Reese cup. It's like you're just biting into peanut butter and chocolate. Exactly. I love that. Um, they're actually they're in stores now already. So we gotta go get some. Uh, what's the best movie theater snack? I'm popcorn. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I, I'm partial. I like my Sour Patch Kids. I always yeah. get Sour Patch Kids at the movie theater. <laughs> yeah. See, I though, if, if it's candy, though, I always sneak it in because I'm not paying five times the price. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I'm going to get a store for a dollar. Exactly. That's exactly how I've always done it. But popcorn, oh. I, I'm okay with paying more for because it's like a specific taste at the theater. But why shaking your Did head you here? <laughs> I, I can only do like a handful of popcorn before I like I had a bad experience when I was a kid <laughs> shit ton of popcorn <laughs> dude I ate a shit ton of popcorn during a movie and then like I didn't realize that I had the flu at that time because the symptoms oh. hadn't hit me yet so when I left yep. the movie theater all of a sudden I was like <laughs> and it was like nothing <laughs> but popcorn and ever since then dude I can't sit there and just fucking <laughs> eat popcorn like I could have a handful and then I'm like all right I'm done I'm out so <laughs> Well, what, what was that sound you made? <laughs> Popcorn. Dude, you sound like a deranged turkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. 
Yeah, well, I, I would have to say, though, the past couple of years uh, being back in the, the Woodbridge area, I, uh, I got spoiled yeah. because it's an Alamo. So the, the the full menu of food kind of, you know, killed the snacks and just I just get dinner. <laughs> Wait, so you're are you Woodbridge, too? You're right near Jeremy. I was up until a couple of weeks ago. I just recently. Okay. But yeah, uh, Woodbridge is, is home. That's okay. where I grew up. And how about Paige? Where where are you at now? I know you were in Chicago. Uh, I'm in the D.C. area. I don't give out my exact uh, location where I live, but I live in the D.C. area. Nice. So not far from Jeremy and Kim and all that stuff. Very so. cool. And what is the scariest movie you've ever seen? The Conjuring 2. The second <gasps> one? The Conjuring 2 was the scariest film I think I'd ever seen. Um, I watched it a couple of years ago on Halloween and called Kim crying and was like, I cannot move from my couch. It's pitch black. And why did I do this to myself? So she we're on speakerphone as she's like, okay, gradually stand up and go turn your light on. Like my husband's at work. And I'm like, I'm freaking out. Um, that scene where the ghost is sitting on the bed and she's just like this. And then she turns at haunting stories, just scare the ever living shit out of me. Yeah. And to me like that, it's just the scariest film I think I've ever seen. I know it's not the scariest for other people, but for me, it just, man. Yeah. DeAndre and I saw that in the theater together. And we, we, there was a point where we were like, ah, holding on to each other. Cause it freaked us out. But all time for me is definitely the exorcist. I've actually only been able to sit down and watch it all the way through only twice. I can't do it alone. Wow. It freaked me out, but I grew up in a very religious background. So yeah. It, yeah. Pulls that godly here. <laughs> How about you, Jerome? Yeah. Um, so Conjuring 2 did scare the ever-loving shit out of me. I would say it's the one of the scariest movies that I've I've ever fucking seen. Uh, wow. especially in the theater. Like I was scared in the theater. But for me, the scariest movie I've ever seen is Paranormal Activity. And the reason being is because it fucking affected me. I slept with the lights <laughs> on for a week or so after watching it um if i heard any noise in my house in the middle of the night i was jumping the fuck out of my bed with the lights already on like who, who there who there <laughs> like scared as shit so uh the, yeah like i said that movie like really really shook me i know we've talked about it kellen i, I know that movie, yeah I know, that movie didn't do shit for you but like i saw oh no it. no it did it definitely did okay um, I, I saw it at a midnight screening before they even released a trailer for it. All I knew was that the movie was called Paranormal Activity and that it was supposed to be very scary. So I went into it knowing nothing about it and it scared the fuck out of me. No, dude, the one the one part that I thought was very effective that scared the fuck out of me was the part where they find the picture in the attic of the girl. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how crazy is that? you're just you just moved into like some place and there's already a picture of you in the attic from when you were a kid that you lost in like a house fire and it's just in the attic like i would have been so out of there at that point i would have like been in a different state in five minutes yeah <laughs> that series is such a good series as well that i feel like doesn't get the the love and like respect that it really deserves like even if you look at each <clears throat> film it's so well thought out and connected to the one previous before it that it just you could watch it from start to finish all the films and it's just, it's scary as shit. Yeah. I like I so. I, yeah. equal or, or better than the original, but overall they didn't really do much for me. It's mm -hmm. a little too, too simplistic. I think. Yeah. 
the the first three were pretty good, and then I did not like the fourth one, but the um the marked ones was interesting. But I only saw it one one time. That was great, man. I love that movie. Yeah, I like that one. Ghost Dimension was bad, and so was the last one. <laughs> Agree. But yeah, there was a couple of good ones. <clears throat> and uh, all right, we got a couple more here. Who would win in a cat fight, Alice or Nancy? Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna say Alice. Okay. And here, I'm gonna say Alice, and this is why, because Nancy is strong and she has strength, but Alice took over Kristen's power, so she absorbs everybody's power. So she also has Nancy's power. True. So she also has all all of them behind her, all of the Dream Warriors versus yeah versus yeah just i would have general alice the same thing you know she took rick's power she's got that you know karate kick ass thing in her and really kick some ass (laughs) when she was fighting freddie you know um so yeah i i love i love nancy but i think alice is gonna take the win he's frozen (laughs) oh sorry um I, I would have to. I would choose Nancy. Okay. Uh, worst Elm Street sequel. <laughs> I already said it. Freddy's dead. Fuck that movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that movie's awful. I don't. Uh, I'm gonna say Freddy versus Jason for me. Okay. I'm not a fan at all of it. I think. I think it's more of a Jason film than it's an actual like Freddy film. Yeah. So when I look at it, I don't ever count it as part of like the canon. I don't ever count it in like my rankings yeah. and stuff. I love all the other films for like different reasons. Yeah. But like for me, Freddy versus Jason is just, it's, it's, it's not a good film. No, I can see that know? for sure. It definitely doesn't hold up, hold up well. Not like when it came out in 2003, no. a little bit more fun back then. Yeah, I definitely yeah. would say Freddy versus Jason as well because I love all the original ones for their own reasons. And yeah, I just I like Freddy versus Jason. Don't get me wrong; it's fun. I enjoyed yeah. enjoyed it, but I you know overall I wouldn't I wouldn't put it on a level of like the other ones for sure. I think I actually like Jason X more than I like Freddy versus Jason. I love Jason X. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We've talked about Jason X. I fucking love that movie too, man. It's so good. <laughs> if you see that with an audience, it'll change your life. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, favorite Freddy kill? Probably um, Brocius's character, the cockroach. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Yeah, I hate cockroaches. And when I saw that, it made worm like oh my gosh and then like i can't i can never use those little traps like that i can't yeah. do it terrible i have like a mental picture in my head like bugs faces getting stuck to it and ripping off and it's just it's a terrible terrible yeah so yeah. with it the cockroach death not for sure um i'll go i'll go fucking uh dude. tina and nightmare Elm street it's just such a yeah it's a, it's such a help, helpless, you know, death scene where it's just you feel so mm-hmm. bad for her. She's reaching her hand out for her boyfriend to to save her, and there's nothing that he can do. I just think it's a brutal kill. It is. That's a really well thought out one too. And the whole the whole spinning room that they used that was really cool. I feel like I I dare say that like her performance is like it's on like Academy Award winning level. So I good. 
we were editing a project for the premiere and I've had to like watch like a lot of the films on my editing computer while I have it backlit a certain way. Mm. And I'm seeing these films now in a way that I've never seen them before, even like on like our big screen TV, like for some reason they're lit differently and you can see the fear in Amanda Wiss's face. Like it's real, like it's, it's trauma. It's beautiful. It's incredibly hard for me to watch knowing her it's incredibly hard to watch that on screen because it is so raw and so real. And I, mean, I would have to agree with Jeremy. That's probably my favorite too. Yeah. I think, I think well, it's not too. Yeah. <laughs> a raw and real for, you know, I, I like a little bit more of the fun, the fun stuff. Yeah. But also back to prime time, bitch. I think that kills pretty awesome too. It's, it's simple, but it's just, it's perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I love the, 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 he pops out of the TV. Like, yeah. It's so cool. And kills like that, like where they're like a little silly, but they're they're still like you know, they still still pack the punch. I like that. Um, what are you guys most proud of with the doc? I'm proud that we finished it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm proud that we finished it, but I'm the thing I'm most proud about is that um, I feel like we have a really cohesive story and what we've been told by people who have seen it is that there's not any other documentary right now out there. That's like this, mm-hmm. that, that speaks to the culture and the fandom. And my, I I'm proud that like, we've shown this to people who aren't necessarily in the community. Um, I have a mentor who um, is not at all in the horror community. And I sent it to her and I said, I'm really proud of this. I want you to like see it if you don't mind. And she sent back this beautiful thing about how if she was still studying her PhD at Vanderbilt University. She would pitch this for people to, to study this and study why it has this effect on people. And yeah. to me, that's what I'm the most proud of is that that's the effect that it's having on, on people who see this. No, it's, it's, it's really incredible. And anybody listening to this, whenever you get a chance to see it, you absolutely must. Cause it's, it's freaking incredible. And I couldn't stop watching it. I think I told you guys, I, I could not pause it. I literally just sat there and watched the whole thing and it's like over two hours long. Right. So yep. it was, it was one of the best watches I've had in a while, honestly. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and, and I agree with Paige. I think I think the story for, by far, you know, it was it was something we really wanted to get across. Um, you know, in our minds, we knew we were encompassing a community and a culture that was already there, but we wanted to show people who didn't understand that culture, that community. We wanted them to, you know, be able to, if they were to sit down and watch this, they'd be like, oh, I get it, you yeah. know, and and it's funny because even uh, the lawyer who reviewed it, she actually thanked us and said she went back to watch the movies because she was so curious, you know, because of what we what we did. And I thought that was that was pretty neat. And that was kind of a an achievement. You know, it's kind of a, a love letter to all the parents out there who don't understand their kids and why they're so obsessed with like this craziness or this mad world that we live in. So, no, absolutely. Yeah. I'm uh, specifically very proud of of Tim and Paige um, making, you know, having having made a feature. I, it's an impossible, sometimes exhausting experience that you're just like, man, I what the fuck did I get myself into? Like you lose sleep over it. You question why you even started it sometimes because it's so much work and it's so much 
weight on your shoulders. And I mean, they had this vision for this movie from the very beginning and they were determined to make this movie no matter, you know, what the odds were. And there were times where it was very difficult making this movie and the end game was that it was always going to get finished. And they, they made a really, really incredible documentary that I'm extremely proud to be a part of. Um, so yeah, I'm just like really super proud of, of them specifically. You're going to make us cry. <laughs> no, you can, you can tell there was a lot of blood shed and in, in tears shed in this, in this film process. So it's definitely, it's, it's incredible to see it. Thank you. I, I'm very incredibly thankful for the team that we have. Um, I feel like I've leaned on them all at different times. Um, I can tell you there have been a couple of times I've been at Jeremy's house with his wife and his daughter and my husband there and I'm crying just saying, I don't know what to do. I don't, do, do I continue on or, or, you know, there have been times Kim and I have, have had to like give each other pep talks. Like, no, you you can do this. Like we, we can do this. We can, you know, so I feel like everybody's just been really supportive and I don't think we would have the documentary we have now or have been pushed as far as we had if we don't we didn't have the team that we have. And they were also vulnerable to tell their stories. And I'm just forever grateful and indebted to everybody in the community and the cast and our crew who, you know, trusted us with their story to, to, to share their intimate moments of their life. And if anybody wants to check out more information, where can they find you guys? www.fredheadsdoc.com cool. um, or on all social medias. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at fredheadsdoc. Oh, TikTok. I didn't know you were on there. Yeah, we just started a TikTok recently. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for doing this. I'm I'm super stoked about the film and I hope a lot of people get to check it out this year. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. It's been so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. Let me know if there's any like screenings that come out this way or you know, I'll definitely I'll definitely make it there. For sure. One hundred percent. Thanks for joining me for this this little episode of Kellen's Petty Talk Show. (laughs) It was fun. Thank you. Cool. Thank you guys. I love, I love you, boo boo. I love you, boo boo. So much fun. <laughs> all right. Well, hope you guys have a great rest of your night, and let's all keep in touch. Like now we know each other, so that's that's very cool. I can't. <laughs> I can't. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Oh yeah. See you guys. Yeah.